Welcome to Mountain Grace, the weekly sermon from me, John White, priest at St. Luke's Episcopal Church in Camillus, New York. This week we're hearing Luke's story of Jesus and the Sadducees in Jerusalem in the week before his death, and Jesus' invitation to live in the kingdom of God here and now. Holy Gospel according to St. Luke. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless, and then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. In the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die any more because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush, where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all of them are alive. The Gospel of the Lord. Please be seated. Some years ago, there used to be a bumper sticker that I used to see quite a bit. I haven't seen it lately, but it's one that always kind of makes me laugh. And it said, Jesus is coming. Look busy. <laughs> and I was reminded of that because I've been very busy. Uh, you know, we had church last Sunday, and then I did my normal sort of priestly work, which which I know many people think is like includes napping, <laughs> but it doesn't. So I worked all week. And then on Friday and Saturday, we had our diocesan convention. So the gathering of representatives from all the Episcopal churches in central New York, from, from Watertown and Seneca Falls and Binghamton and Cortland and, of course, Syracuse and Ithaca and all over gathered together over in, in Liverpool and we had we had a really pretty good convention. 
It was, it was edifying and uplifting. But it was also, you know, like two days of meetings. And then we had our roast pork dinner last night, which was a joy. I always love spending time with people from the church. And it's great to gather, and it's, it's lovely and wonderful. But i got to be honest, I'm a little churched out. <laughs> and I'm kind of happy tomorrow's a holiday, so I can kind of relax a little bit. And, and I read about these, this story of Jesus. I, I think it's important to put this story in the context of what's happening. So in the story that Luke is telling us about Jesus at this point, where he has this encounter with the Sadducees, Jesus has been very busy. He not only has been, you know, wandering for three years, teaching and preaching and healing, he's also finally been on the road to Jerusalem. A couple of days before the story that we hear today, he had arrived in Jerusalem, the great fanfare. And, you know, and he's got all these followers who are with him, the disciples and, and the others. And, you know, the disciples are kind of a difficult bunch they don't ever seem to quite get exactly what Jesus is talking about. They're kind of troublesome, and I feel for Jesus sometimes. Not here, of course, but, but sometimes it's just kind of being together with a lot of people all the time can be exhausting. And so Jesus has all these people, and he showed up in Jerusalem, and he first went to the temple, and you remember he chased out the money changers and overturned their tables, caused the big ruckus. And then in the last couple of days here in Jesus' life, he's been very busy teaching and preaching and healing. And all these groups of people keep showing up to sort of attack him or complain or to suggest that maybe he doesn't really understand anything about religion. And that's what the story is happening today that Jesus encounters these Sadducees. And the Sadducees are a group of people in ancient Israel, a Jewish group or sect, that is closely tied to the temple priesthood and the, and the nobles, the sort of the aristocracy of the area. What today we might think of as sort of the 1%, I guess. Um, and so these are the people who sort of represent the, the cream of Israelite society. And they come to Jesus basically to show that Jesus is an ignorant rube, right? Because that's kind of what they think of Jesus. He's from Galilee, which is kind of like being from West Virginia. <laughs> I'm from there, that's why. Um, and, and they don't think he understands anything. And so they ask him this question. And this is not an honest question. They don't really want Jesus to try to answer this question. This is a question that is meant to make Jesus look foolish. Because the important thing to remember about the Sadducees is they are very dedicated to the written law, what we think of as the first five books of the Bible, the Torah. And if it's not in the Torah, it's not real. And other people in ancient Israel, including Jesus, including us, believe in some other things that are not explicitly written in the scriptures, but which through our experience, through our interpretation, through our understanding, we have come to believe are true. And one of these things that is a hot topic is the resurrection. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection because nowhere in the first five books of the Bible, does it say anything 
about a resurrection. And so they don't believe in the resurrection, so they ask this disingenuous question, now Jesus, there's this woman, and she marries a guy, and he dies, childless, and now the law says that her brother should marry him, her brother-in-law should marry her. And so on and so forth, all through seven brothers, you would think after like five, they would say, you know, maybe I should marry someone else, but they're followers of the law. So they each marry the woman in turn, and they all die. And so they ask him this ridiculous hypothetical to kind of prove the ridiculousness of the resurrection. And of course, Jesus answers them with great wisdom and says, you guys don't understand anything. Because the resurrection doesn't work that way. Because what you think is this world that we live in is as, as it should be. But it is not. That this world that we live in is a fallen version, a lesser version, a tarnished version of the world that God created and intended for us. And that the world, the kingdom of God that we are invited to live in is in some ways the exact opposite of what you think the world should be. Because in the kingdom of God, there aren't people striving. There aren't people taking advantage of others. There aren't people who do evil for their own benefit. There aren't people who are complicit. There aren't people who don't care. There aren't people who marry. It's a different life. That the world that God created for us, the world that we're invited to live into, is wholly opposite in so many ways from what we think the world is. And then Jesus goes on, because he's Jesus, right, to show them that, in fact, the written law suggests that there is a resurrection. That's why he throws in that little bit at the, pat, at the bottom, is not only to say that he recognizes they aren't genuine in their question, that their question is a representative of their complete misunderstanding of God and what God wants, but also that in the scripture that they extol it actually suggests, implies, that there is a resurrection in the story of, of Moses at the burning bush. Right? And I can really appreciate Jesus. He's really, he's up against it, right? He's got all these difficult followers. He's, he's really busy. He's moving towards what he knows is going to be his death. And he really would like to just take a day off, at least. In fact, the Bible tells us that the very last prayer that we see Jesus offer, which is going to happen a couple of days after this story that we hear today, in the Garden of Gethsemane, immediately before his rest, is the prayer that he could be delivered from all of this busyness. To please, Lord, take this cup from me. So I think that when we, when we think about our life of faith that often we think about our life in church. And church can be very demanding of all of us, right? There are things to do. There are dinners to host, and there are sermons to prepare, and there are newsletters to make, and there are statements of your pledges, which are on the back table if you haven't gotten it already, to print out, <laughs> right? There's always something that needs to be done. Right, because when we come together in community, it's just there are there's things that just have to happen. Right, we have a whole building we need to take care of because we don't want to stand outside in the cold when we worship, and we we have things to prepare to make this worship a meaningful experience of people or people. And there's just always a demand on us. 
But I think one of the things that Jesus teaches us is that we have to remember that all of these tasks, this busyness that we are called to, isn't the end. We aren't called to do all of the things that we need to do to live together as community just for the sake of doing them. But to remember always that they point to something else. That we do these things not to just to do them, but that we do these things because. Because when we do them, when we carry out the small, myriad, mundane tasks that the life of community calls forth, we create something remarkable. We create this community of God's people. And that when we come together, like today, and we celebrate the Eucharist, where we gather around Christ's very own table, just as the disciples did in that upper room the night before his arrest, that when we, we live in that moment together with them once again, we are reminded of this glorious calling of the life of faith. And that all of these things that we do are meant to hold up that life of faith. So the person who comes in, who's at their rope's end, who needs an encouraging word, who needs some uplifting music, who needs to hear God's love proclaimed so that their lives can be transformed and changed and turned and empowered to be children of God. That's why we do what we do. <coughs> we do it so that we can gather together and experience and have an encounter with the living Christ who invites us to live in that kingdom of God where everything is different than the world that we see around us. So that we can be people who care for one another, people who offer a kind word or a healing hand, people who, who won't stand silent in the face of evil, so that we can be people who make a difference in our communities, in our lives, who in a thousand different ways make a difference. That's why we do all of that stuff, so that we can get a taste of what it's like to live in the kingdom of God. Right now, we don't have to wait for the resurrection to begin living in that world. That Jesus invites us to live in that right now, today. Amen. In
Lord, walk with me. 